BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. As always, I do appreciate you. And uh, like I said many times before, if it wasn't for you, I'd just be sitting here talking to myself, which I do all the time anyway, so that's okay. Anyway, today we're going to get into a pretty exciting and uh, controversial topic here. But, uh, you know, it's one that everybody has to have at some point in time. It's a discussion that just needs to take place. Does entrance size matter? So I'm going to say here that the uh, the short answer of this one is going to be absolutely. But we'll talk through it. I'll, I'll explain the rationale for my opinion, and you know we'll kind of dive into it here in just a minute. The first thing I wanted to tell you all before we before we go too much further is, you know, I mentioned it in the Discord room, but I recently set up a Patreon page, and this was something I was really kind of on the fence about for a really long time. Um, you know, it was suggested to me, and I was kind of like, eh, yeah, probably not. It just, I felt, and it's weird because I've supported other pages and other content creators and I've enjoyed their content and it was, it was, wasn't even a, a real thought for me. I was like, oh, I like what they're doing. I hope they can keep it up and I'm, you know, throw them a few bucks here and there or whatever. It was just kind of a weird idea for me to flip that around and to put it out there. But then I started looking at some pretty significant investments that were made when I first started, you know, a couple of years ago. I think most recently I th- was somewhere around $2,500 or so worth of new AV equipment. And I'm looking at doing some other things around upgrading some software and some things that will help expedite the process of editing and going through that. Cause it's actually pretty time consuming on the back end. So if there's 30 minutes of podcast, there's probably, you know, two hours of prep and an hour of after work and it's, you know, it gets involved but I think there are some things I'm trying to look at that can help make that a little bit of a cleaner process. Anyway, you know, times are tough. I completely get it. If you can support the channel, I just know that it's going to be going into, uh, you know, to reinvest within the podcast, the YouTube channel and other equipment things to do things better. And I, I'm really excited about it, particularly because the thing that made me say, yeah, let's do this is because I've had people that have reached out and they've asked questions and they say, Hey man, I really God, I, I I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I'd really love to talk to you about this problem I'm having. I mean, can I can I call you? Like, I don't want to bug you. The plans I put in place actually have up to like three phone calls a month where we can get on the phone. I don't care if you want to do FaceTime or if you want to do, 
you know, a video, send me a video and then have me, you know, have us walk through it on the phone afterwards or whatever. But this is a chance to really get some direct one-on-one time where we can talk about something specifically going on for you, with you, in your apiary. So I'm pretty pumped about that part of it. So that, so anyway, I appreciate the support. And if you don't, that's fine too, right? Just keep coming back, keep listening, let your friends know, and uh, we'll keep trucking along. But with that, we do have a new Patreon member at the Queen level. So special thanks to Mary for her and her contribution. And uh, I ha- probably owe her a phone call because we caught up the other day and I got to give her a couple more. So we got to catch up soon. Anyway, jumping right into things. Always keeping in mind that when I'm talking about anything, you know, I'm giving you either my experience hands-on here in the Mid-Atlantic or I'm, I'm using information that other people that I know or people who are in different parts of the world have shared with me. So beekeeping best practices are going to vary based on your location and, as always, who you talk to, right? I mean, you've heard me say this one before, but you know, ask 100 beekeepers for their opinion and you're going to get 110 different answers. I mean, it's just, it's just the reality of it. I do have an opinion on this. I'm going to save it till the end. I don't want to spoil it here, but I do. Uh, at the end of the podcast here today, I will kind of give you my opinion and what I think. Uh, so if you know, if you get to a position where you're just tired of playing, you know, rock paper scissors against yourself, trying to decide on on what size of an entrance you want to go with, I'll give you a safe bet answer here at the end. Okay, to kind of level set everything, we're just going to be talking about a standard Langstroth hive for starters. So we'll just kind of kick it off with what an entrance reducer is why you would need it, want it, or even consider using them. If you assemble your hardware and you don't have an entrance reducer, you're basically going to have a bottom board and then a hive body on top. It doesn't matter. Shallow, medium, deep, doesn't matter. You're going to have about a 16-inch space across the front. And again, we're assuming like a 10-frame Langstroth hive. A 16-inch wide space across the front for the bees to defend. Even the largest of colonies don't necessarily need that much space to get in and out of the hive. But we're going to talk a little bit about the the purposes that the entrance reducers serve, uh, you know, outside of the obvious stuff. And then kind of try and give you some some, uh, info to help you decide, you know, what's going to work best for you. Here are some reasons why I think they're very important. And this is probably, probably number one on my list. If you have package bees, you have a young colony, a new colony, maybe you did a late season split that you're supplemental feeding in, you know, June, July, August, or if you're in an area where, and again, I'm giving those time frames for where I live, that's obviously going to vary based on where you are. But when you have periods of dearth or you have periods where there is not availability of resources, there's not a nectar flow, you're going to have to contend with robbing, you're going to have to contend with, you know, other types of pests that are going to harass the bees. So that is probably the biggest reason why I think you're going to need an entrance reducer. The other kind of general reason is being able to prevent or reduce, you know, pests and other things that just disrupt the colony's health and happiness. You know, the one that's really easy to kind of pick on is uh, like a mouse guard, right? Putting up a mouse guard to keep a mouse from going in and setting up shop. It's relatively inexpensive to do. It's important, right? You don't want to have a mouse living inside the hive. So there's a couple of, just a couple quick reasons why they're important. Now, you know, just as there's always somebody who has an opinion one way, you're going to hear opinions the other way too. So here's another reason why you might not want to use one. 
right? Let's assume that you want to have everything completely open. You want to use, I did a YouTube video on this, but you want to use a piece of like some uh, quarter inch hardware cloth, make your own entrance reducer. I think the one I did in the video took about a minute and a half to make, and that's going to keep the mouse out, but it's completely wide open, leaving for a lot of airflow. So airflow is critically important in the hive year round. I think that I mean, you can make the case that it's equally as important pretty much for either time of year, whether it's the peak of the summer heat or you know the peak of your winter. In the summer, when the bee population is high and it's really, really hot out, you'll see bearding. You'll see bees pouring out of the front, and they'll literally hang off the front like a big, giant beard. And that's because they're hot. Now, that's not the end of the world. They're just, they're hot. They're going to go outside and kind of cool off a little bit. As long as, I mean, they, they get a little irritated when it starts pouring down rain and they're all hanging out outside. But outside of that short term, it's really not a big deal. Where it becomes a big deal is when it's happening every day over and over. When they literally just do not have enough space inside the hive, you know, to properly ventilate and to cool and to do everything they need to do to keep everybody not angry at each other, basically. But the risk you have here is that they will abscond. That is, that is like literally the worst possible scenario is that they have a hive and a colony. They're there. Everything is functional, working. They've got resources stored. They're just killing time to the fall flow. And they literally pack up and leave and leave everything behind. You go out and do an inspection and you're like, where is everybody? You open it up. It's packed full of honey and there's nobody home. That's just as bad as not having any ventilation at all and having a, a huge amount of condensation build up inside the hive in the wintertime and having them die because the condensation hit them and they froze to death. Now, another reason why I think it's really cool to not have them on is particularly if there is a flow, there aren't a lot of things that are much cooler than watching the bees take advantage of that full space, right? You're in peak flow, you got two or three hundred honey supers on, and they're just coming and going like crazy. You know, they're 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 coming in hot. They're loaded down with the pollen sacks. You know, they hit the landing board. They do a little PLF, which if you're not an airborne person, you wouldn't know that. I am not an airborne person, but anyway, they do their little tuck and roll, and they pop up, and it's just the coolest thing. I love it. But even with those larger colonies they can still manage to get in and out with a much, much smaller entrance. My larger kind of production colonies, they're, they're usually open all season. I'll take the entrance reducer completely off in the, uh, in the spring, run it wide open. Even during a dearth, I'll leave it wide open because they're a bigger, larger, stronger colony. I've tried reducing the entrance down to them year-round at three-quarters of an inch. I've done it at like that three-inch kind of reduction size. I've done nothing, just, I mean, just a mouse guard, and I've overwintered them in all these different ways. And honestly, I, I don't really see a big difference myself in my climate, leaving them wide open. And that scares the crap out of me. It's still scared, like to say that, to tell you like, oh yeah, it'll, it'll probably be okay. It still scares me because it's just so counterintuitive, right? You, you just think of everything like your home and you would never just just say, well, I think I'll just leave the front door cracked open an inch all winter long. And, and, but yet looking at it from the beehive standpoint, right? That cool air gets in there. It helps to mitigate the condensation 
and it helps to keep the temperatures outside the cluster normalized and reduce that, you know, that again, reducing that condensation. But I've done it. I've done them completely open and I've kind of almost standardized now. Well, I don't want to give it away. I'll save it for later. We'll shift over to, you know, how do you get a, an entrance reducer homemade versus store bought and all of that. The homemade entrance reducers, in my opinion, are kind of the way to go. I mean, if you've, you know, talked to me, you know, by email or by chat, Discord or whatever, you probably gathered that I'm, I'm kind of a cheap person, really. It's not, I guess it's not so much that, that, that I can't go and buy an entrance reducer, and I have bought them before, but I feel like, you know, making things myself, it kind of gives you that sense of accomplishment. You know, you save a few bucks. Uh, you know, it's made the way that you want to make it. And uh, you know, it also helps to kind of better understand, understand the skills and things that, that you have and the things that maybe you don't have or need to work on. I mean, I, I stand strongly on the idea that, you know, self-reliance is going to become more and more important in the coming years. So, you know, why not start with some of the simple things, you know, with entrance reducers? I mean, if you look at... I just I did a search a little while ago. I think it was like two fifty or three dollars a piece. I think you can buy an entire two by four for about three fifty right now. So why not just buy a two by four and make twenty entrance reducers out of it? Or that's a business idea. There you go. You're welcome. Here's how I I make mine is I'll take a regular two by four. So a two by four, you know, dimensional lumber is one and a half inches by three and a half inches. You take that one and a half inch side, split it in half, that's three quarters of an inch. And then you just start cutting three quarter inch pieces off of that four times. And you end up with three quarter inch by three quarter inch pieces. Now you can do you can do them just a slight little bit less than that. And it'll be just enough to slide underneath depending on the height of your bottom boards. All of my custom made bottom boards use three quarters of an inch wood all the way around the edges of them. So that so using a three quarter inch or even slightly less, like maybe a eleven sixteenths or something like that, would be the height that would slide just up underneath the hive body, and make for a good entrance reducer. The other thing I do too is I always have little scraps of that three by or three quarter inch material, and I'll keep it like in that beekeeping tool belt that I use because it's it's handy. You can just drop one in place while you're out while you're out in the boot. So that's special for the the northern folks of so your Michigan, North Dakota, your Canadian people. So that's when you're out in a boot in your in your bee yard. And uh, anyway, so when you're out there, you can you reach out in your tool belt, grab that little three quarter inch piece, you know, block of wood, and you can just throw it down real quick. If you see a situation where there is some robbing, or you just happen to be there and you're looking at things, and you decide that it's time to add an entrance reducer, you know, like I said, I carry a few of them with me. They're handy. They're easy to work with. And then you can always make a custom measurement while you're there and go cut it to size later on, but at least you have something with you. And I do all of mine are pretty much custom cuts. I don't, you know, because I have, I have, you know, two frame, I'm trying to think. I have some three frame that I haven't even used, but I've got two frame, four frame, five frame nukes. And then I've got the divided deep two colonies in one setup. So all of them have different sizes of everything. Now on the store bought ones, there are some advantages here to keep in mind too. And a lot of it is that balance that we all go through that time money kind of balance in life. If you have the time and you want to save the money, cool. You may have a lot going on in your life. You're busy and it's just so much easier for you to just order them and they just show up and you use them. Right. I get it. I, I do both. So I completely understand. But one of the pros to that is, you know, you put the order in, it shows up in a box and you go outside and there it's pre-cut to the standard. You can buy them for eight frame or 10 frame. 
And the way that the ones that you purchase commercially are designed is if you you have a basically like like a three quarter inch by three quarter inch by sixteen inches long, you can flip it to four different sides basically. One side would completely block everything altogether. You turn it like 90 degrees, it gives you about a three-quarter inch opening. You turn it another 90 degrees, and you have about a three-inch opening. And then I think you have, again, like two ways you could put it in where it would be blocking it entirely. So it's nice to have those options right there in that one place. Because like I said, with mine, I'll make a, you know, 14 and a half inch piece that I would throw in. And that's all I would use. If I want to change or reduce it, I pop it out and put like a 10 inch piece in or whatever. I'll just grab a piece that's laying around. I'm like, that's close enough and and put it on. But again, the cons to it, like I mentioned earlier is, is with the cost and you you can probably make 30 of them with the two by four, but they definitely do work and they are pretty easy to work with as an alternative. You have, you can go for some non-traditional entrance reducing methods. One of them that I have done many times is just the, look around on the ground and see what happens to be available approach. Um, I've, I've used sticks quite a bit. Look, so if you have, if you're near a wooded area, you got some oak trees, they're always dropping little small branches and sticks that, you know, just grab one of those, break it off approximately where it needs to be. I've used them for entrance reducers for, you know, weeks until I've actually gone and cut one, but that's fine. I mean, you can leave it there as long as you want. They will kind of tend to, in a storm or a heavy wind, they'll, they'll kind of roll off. So you kind of be mindful of that. But once they propolize it, it's, uh, it's all taken care of. Now, one thing with nukes, I mean, it's, it's really the exact same thing with nukes. So I, I would probably recommend just putting that at about maybe an inch, inch and a half, maybe even two inches, and just leave it like that all the time. You know, it's good to give them plenty of space to work with. They can defend that and it doesn't require, you know, anything really special. You can just measure the bottom. Let's say you have six inches across as an example, six inches across, you measure four inches and you cut 10 of them. They're just, you're good to go. But as always, like I said, if it's, if it's during a flow, nothing wrong with opening it wide open during the entire flow. But those nukes, again, they're smaller usually. And uh, a lot of them, particularly if they're more of a late season split, you know, you want to reduce that entrance down to kind of give them some protection. And there's always those smaller colonies are always getting robbed out. The other thing that I did is when I built a lot of my custom nukes, uh, I made my bottom board, you know, I did that three quarter inch by three quarter inch um, raised edge to support the, the hive body itself. But then I also nailed in an entrance reducer. So they're set out of the box at about an inch and a half or two. So that makes it easy because you never have to worry about an entrance reducer. Another thing that you can do too, I saw this a long time ago. It was with Barnyard Bees. I was looking at their website. They got tons of videos there. I haven't looked at them in probably a year or so, but they've got a lot of good content over there. And uh, David over there was doing a discussion around entrance reducers, and he was using number eight hardware cloth, right? Just so you're like eight squares per inch hardware cloth that is the same stuff you would see if you get a package of bees, you know, just an, it keeps the bees contained. They cannot pass through it like they can with the one quarter inch stuff that you would use for a mouse guard. And he would take this hardware cloth and he would staple it across the front. And then he had a cut in it at one point that he could raise up and down. So if he wanted to, he can raise the entire thing up. You just bend it up and the entire entrance was wide open. And then if he started seeing any robbing behavior or felt that that for whatever reason he needed to reduce it, 
he would peel those edge pieces down, but then lift up that middle section. So it was kind of a really dynamic type of entrance reducer, and it's really cheap, right? You you buy that hardware cloth, you buy it in a uh, you know a big roll. I mean, I've got a roll that I've had for years. I'm still cutting on that, you know. So it's one of those things where once you have it, it's just like another tool in the toolbox. So I definitely recommend that as a very viable option, particularly for nukes and some of those smaller colonies. Now, another thing to talk about are like top entrances. Some kind of the, the pros and cons around those. I have never consciously made a top entrance for a colony, but the vented top that I use, it has them built into it. I usually put hardware cloth over that entrance, but sometimes I will leave it open during a flow, or if, if I'm really engaging them pretty regularly to address an issue, I'll just leave it open so I don't have to staple and destaple the hardware cloth over and over again as I'm going in and out. But you do need to be careful because I don't think the bees... Do is this is just my opinion. I don't think they do as good of a job defending those upper entrances as they do down low. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like there aren't as many bees present up top as there are down at the main entrance. But I do like them being able to have an alternate path. Um, like let's say, for example, you're in an area that has a lot of snow. It's not that hard if you if you have a 14, 16 inch stand. You know, you get a foot and a half of two feet of snow. They're kind of blocked in. So having that upper entrance allows them to come and go during a heavier snowfall. It definitely allows airflow to continue, you know, in that scenario. And of course they can still get, you know, get in and out when the days when it warms up a little bit. You know, another thing too is uh, if you only have the lower entrance and then you've got four honey supers stacked up top, they've got to go all the way through the brood chamber, through the other hive bodies, through the queen excluder, all the way to get to the top, having that top entrance might not be such a bad idea in order to kind of reduce how far they have to go to drop off whatever they're bringing back. Like with mine, mine is a is a um, entrance at the very top. So if I'm all the way near, so let's say I did have, you know, let's say I had two deeps and three honey supers at the top. That entrance is just above that top honey super. So it would be really easy for them to go in, make the transition to another bee, and head right back out. So I think there's definitely some advantages to them. I would just strongly encourage you and advise to just keep an eye on those things and be ready to close them up if you need to. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable in order to help keep the lights on. We do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there and I appreciate you. We will be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. All right, so I know we talked briefly about mouse guards earlier. I do want to mention, though, how important that they are. Uh, I think it's not as important depending on where you live. So as an example, at my suburban home, I've, I've never used them. I've never had to. I, I think I put them in one year in one colony and then didn't in the others, and I never had any, any issues with mice. And I was like, oh, maybe it's not really a big deal. And I just it, it was just never an issue. And then getting down to the apiary and the rural property, there's mice everywhere, and it's like a, it's a must-have kind of thing. So I would say, again, right, take a piece of that hardware cloth like I mentioned with the, the quarter-inch hardware cloth, dirt cheap. Just go ahead and cut one and put it in from the beginning, or if you want to invest a couple of bucks. I don't think they're that expensive. I've never bought one, but I've seen a lot of the people in the Discord room have posted pictures with their mouse guards installed, and it's, it's basically just a metal kind of frame that goes along the bottom. It has you know, circular holes all the way through it that the bees can easily move in and out of, but are just too small for a mice, for a mice, for a mouse to get into. So that is something that you definitely want to consider. And again, if you put one in yourself, it's pretty cheap to just do it up front. I have never had them in the hive, but I've seen some pictures before where they get in there and then uh, I guess, you know, they get stung. The the, the bees kind of get on them and let them know who's in charge. And then they like propolize them and then you get in there and try to take them out in the spring and they're just like mummified and gross. Like I, I wouldn't mind seeing one, but I'd rather it not be in my bee yard if I can avoid that. If you need some help with this, I did a quick video on YouTube. Just go check out the Beekeeping for Newbies uh, YouTube page. And there's a quick video in there about, about making mouse guards from a hardware cloth. Like I said, you can buy the, the other ones too, whatever works for you. Notched inner covers. This kind of annoys me. I think like the first, I don't know, 20 or 30 inner covers I bought had that notch in them. And I kept doing research, trying to understand why it was there. And I was getting things like, oh, it's a top vent. It allows air to escape or whatever. And I thought, okay. Well, then the more I read and looked at it, it, it really turns out to be, I think that it's supposed to be like a, a alternate entrance, but I don't, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, I don't get why they notch them. It can't provide any real airflow. If you're using a, a telescoping outer cover, like you're not going to have air moving through there. The, the only purpose it serves is for bad things. Like there's nothing good that comes from that. If you get inner covers that are notched, what you need to make sure that you're doing whether the notch goes towards the front or towards the back doesn't really matter. You need to set, if it's a migratory cover or a telescoping cover, whatever one it is, let's say the notch as an example, the notch is in the back. you got to set the cover down and then push the lid all the way forward so that the overlapping part of the cover that kind of hangs over the hive body is flush against the hive body. If you don't do that, you'll have spiders, roaches, wax moths, the bigger ants, you'll have all kinds of stuff. They'll just walk up through the top, go right through that little entrance. And I mean, that's not an area that's really defended by the bees. I mean, unless you have a really, really packed colony up there, but just block that. 
it's ridiculous. I don't know why they do it. And maybe somebody will send me an email or give me a message as to why they're incredibly useful and the most amazing thing that's ever been invented in the bee world. I don't know. It's, it's frustrating to me. It kind of makes me a little irritated because it doesn't make any sense. Okay. I'm not going to get bent out of shape over the notched whatever. All right. So the next question that, that I would answer is how do I leave mine in the winter? Now, I know that everybody, you know, everybody views their beehives just like they do you know, their own home, and they hate the idea of, of a draft coming in and the bees freezing, and I get it. You know, I, I, I remember that very well, and I know that how kind of counterintuitive it is to this idea of leaving it, you know, the front door wide open in the wintertime. But I'm telling you, if you close them up in an airtight colony in the winter, it's a death sentence. So I've gone in-depth in, in this before, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to do it again by email or, or in the Discord room or, or whatever. But you know, the example is always you have a tree. It's hollowed out. It's got a 12 to 14-inch you know, vertical opening in this hollowed-out tree. The bees go in there. They set up shop. I mean, that's a huge opening, right? I mean, there's a potential for a lot of cold air to come in, and yet they make it work. I believe that you're completely fine leaving it wide open in most places. I think there are some places where it just gets so stinking cold that it's probably a really good idea to reduce the entrance down to, you know, somewhere between one and three inches. I don't think that would be a bad idea. But another thing to keep in mind, too, is as long as they have enough time in that space, they will propolize that area to the size that is right for them. And to give a specific example, I mean, I saw this years ago. I had a double stacked four frame nuke that I was overwintering. I forgot to put the entrance reducer in that winter. They didn't care. I opened it up in the spring, and they had made a propolis wall that was from one edge all the way to about two inches away from the opening. It was it was really impressive, but they had just made a little wall right there in front of where that entrance reducer would have been to you know block the majority of that draft. So I thought that was really awesome You know that they had been able to do that, and they just figured out how much they needed for themselves, and that was it. But again, that's one where I would probably want to refer you to some of your local folks to see what everyone else is doing. But when in doubt, drop it down to, uh, oh, wait, I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away till the end. Hold on. Okay, so I actually read somewhere during the course of this preparation here where someone suggested that you remove the entrance reducer once a month in the winter to remove dead bees. And I was like, what? I've never, I've never done that. Like, I put the entrance reducer up. Stays all winter. You pop it out. Usually, it's like the kind of thing I would do maybe early April. You know, pop the entrance reducer out for good in April, maybe April or late April, something like that. But yeah, apparently they want you to go remove that every month to look for dead bees. I mean, if you have that many bees dying, you've got bigger issues. So my opinion on that one: just leave them alone. One more thing, sort of off topic, but a little bit related. You have those uh, Boardman feeders, those uh, those entrance feeders. You know, you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. I love the feeders conceptually. They're easy to get to. They're easy to refill. You know, it's, it's really easy to see how much is left in the container. But I used them for, you know, a week or two a few years ago, and I haven't used them since. I mean, I had yellow jackets drinking, you know, off these feeders at the entrance to the hives. So that's, that's no good. That's not cool. You know, and I'm not going to say that you should never use them under any circumstances. Absolutely not. I think that if you're, you know, kickstarting a brand new hive, you know, you're doing, you got some package bees, you're doing a small split and you just got to have something to get to them right away. And maybe you're going to leave it on there for a few days or a week and then you're done. I'm okay with that, but don't do that during a dearth. Don't do that during a period of time where stronger hives are looking to rob from weaker ones. That's just not good. 
I brought that up because I saw a picture of a nuke that had one the other day, and I kind of had to cringe a little bit because, again, conceptually I think they're great, but I don't know. makes me nervous. Okay, what do I actually recommend? So if all else fails and you can't decide, right, you're tired of listening to all the experts telling you what you should do or what you shouldn't do, just go with like a one-inch entrance year-round. The bees will figure it out. They will make it work. I remember when I first started and I wasn't really sure what to do and I was kind of going back and forth. I had like the smallest entrance reducer on for the longest time because they were the, the guidance I remember getting was, well, start out at the smallest level and after you've had them for about a month, then move up to the next level. And then once they get good and strong, then you can open it all the way if you want, but you don't really have to or need to. I disagree. I like having them completely wide open when the flow is on and when there's a lot of activity. I like to have them completely wide open with strong colonies when there's when the weather is hot, you want good airflow. There's definitely reasons to open or close. And you know, as long as you kind of understand those core like fundamental reasons behind what you're doing, right? Not just doing something because somebody says to do it, but but thinking through it. You know, to say, okay, I have a brand new colony. They're pretty weak, and it's later in the season because it was a late split. I'm going to keep this entrance small so it's easier to defend. I like, I really, you're never going to go wrong with that, right? A smaller colony isn't going to overheat because there aren't a whole lot of bees yet. So you can maintain that, like I said, maintain that one inch all year long. And if you doubt whether or not that that would work, how many videos have you seen or stories have you heard? where they have uncovered, somebody has uncovered or found this massive colony in an attic or in a wall or behind like a, a spigot for an outside pipe you know, where there's just a spot that they had enough room to move to get in. I mean, it's a little tiny entrance and they find a way to make it work. So don't, you know, don't get too wrapped up around it. Don't beat yourself up about it. Put it at one inch, leave it there all year long. It'll all work out. So what you've probably gotten mostly out of all of this is a whole lot of contradiction. You've heard me say, you should probably do the entrance fully open, but when you're not doing it open, it should be mostly closed. So that, again, it speaks to the varying opinions and methodologies and approaches and, you know, like everything else, there's not necessarily a hard right or wrong answer, but the size of the entrance definitely does matter at certain times of year. And I just want you to kind of think through it as you kind of configure your colonies for the varying times of year that you're doing different activities. If you have questions, you know, more questions on this, obviously jump in the Discord room. It's, it's a link right off the Beekeeping for Newbies homepage. Jump in there, ask a few questions here. If you're already in the Discord room and we need to do a follow-up on this with more detail, I know it was pretty broad and generic, but let me know. We'll figure that out. I'm going to wrap up the day with one last note here. So I pulled some of our stats today uh, in order from best to not best. Notice I didn't say worse. I said not best. So I, I picked the top four. We have number 10 in Barbados, number 25 in Sweden, number 31 in the USA, and number 48 in Canada. So if I did not mention your country, you need to speak with your fellow countrymen and countrywomen and get them on board here. I am going to wrap it up today, folks. I uh, Again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and uh, reach out, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com, where you can catch us on the Discord room. And the next episode we have coming out is probably going to be the episode talking about the different species of honeybees and which ones might be right for you based on, you know, your, your desire for honey production and uh, temperament, 
where you're located geographically within the world. I'm going to try it. I know this is going to take a lot of research. In fact, I just got picked on and beat up a couple days ago because I thought that the Saskatraz bees were Saskaraz, and they're not. They're like Alcatraz. It's like Saskatraz. So I... Sorry that I'm not a bee expert on that particular species of bees, but I, I caught a I caught a little bit for that one the other day. Anyway, I'm going to do a little bit of research because I don't know about all the different species. I primarily keep Italians, and you know they've been pretty good to me. I want to bring some other ones in, but I'll talk all about that in the next episode, and we'll try to have that out for you in the next week. And then the episode beyond that that we're going to do, and we're almost kind of getting too late for it in my area, but maybe not so much if you're further up north, is some different tips and techniques to make queens, doing some queen rearing. You know, we're going to talk about that kind of from beginning to advanced. You know, the, the more advanced way would be like queen grafting, where you're actually using a little tool and you're grafting larvae out and putting them into queen cells, and you're building queen cell builders. We'll walk through that entire process. There are some much, much easier, simpler ways to do it. There are some ways that are really easy, and they're kind of cool and crafty, like using wax and making little molds and creating these custom little things. I'll talk you through all that, but that's about two episodes out. If you have any suggestions, though, please let us know. So we're all always looking for new ideas and um, you know, trying to get the right content out to you. In as much of a timely manner as we can, we know that people are busy and the season is in full swing and we've got nectar flow all over the place and swarming everywhere and it's getting a little wild and crazy. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves. Have a good time. Don't do anything I would do and we'll talk to you soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.